Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading this morning can be found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. You may be seated. Good morning, God is good. All the time. I want to take a moment. We've uh, had several mentioned. Um, Let's take a moment and pray. Would you bow with me, please? Our Father, we thank you for the rain that you've sent on this land to nurture the ground that yields its fruit, that we may have sustenance. We give you thanks for that rain, and Father, we thank you that you have blessed us to be here this morning. There are a few that we want to remember before you, and uh, at the risk of leaving some out inadvertently, I pray that as you know those in need, that you will attend to their cares. Father, we're mindful of the cook, shoemaker, and manners family, and pray that you will comfort them in their losses. Give them peace and bless them. Father, we give you thanks for Presley and for Haley and their decision to obey the gospel and to put on Christ in baptism. We thank you for their families who have nurtured them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we pray that they'll grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. Be with them and bless them. Keep the enemy far from them and let them grow and mature in faith. Father, we also remember Jackson Kimbrough before you. He's in a horrible car wreck a few days ago. But we thank you that all seems to be well, that he's stable and that he's improving. We pray for the long road of recovery that he may face. We pray, Lord, that you'll give him your peace, that you'll bless him, that he'll not be discouraged. But, Father, help him as he recovers and bless also his, his parents and his, his brother and all that know him and love him that have been going with him through this terrible time. But we do thank you for the good news and pray your continued blessings. Lord, be with us. We ask that you will bless us in the time that we have this morning, that what we do glorifies and honors you. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Centuries ago, the prophet Jeremiah made a promise by the word of the Lord to God's people. And that promise was that there was going to be a new covenant, different from the one that was of old. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
If you keep on reading that passage, there's a lot more to it than just this. Perhaps my favorite part is toward verse 34 where he says, their lawless deeds and their iniquity, their lawless deeds I will forgive and their iniquities I will remember no more. It isn't that God forgets, it's rather that he chooses not to hold something against us. So he, cho- he chooses to forget it or to, to let it away. So this probably in the 7th century B.C. to the 6th century B.C., around the 600s, 500s, Jeremiah wrote these words. Obviously, he and the audience of that time wouldn't see this fulfilled, but yet it was a hope that all Israelites from this this point forward would actually hold to. And in that moment that we often refer to as the Last Supper, Jesus reminds us of this new covenant. When he took the cup that we just partook of, He says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission or forgiveness of sins. And so there he is pointing to the time, to the point at which we're getting to leave that old covenant and enter into the new covenant. And we see from the Hebrew author that the covenant became in effect when Jesus died. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So after Jesus died, this new covenant came into effect. It's not like the one of the old where you have 613 commandments that you have to keep very cautiously and stringently. That isn't to say that there aren't commands that we have to keep in the new. It's just that it's not ruled by that law of Moses and it's vastly different. Bruce Shelley explains what a covenant is in in pretty good terms, I think. Let me read this to you. The Lord did not establish a contract with Israel or with the church. He created a covenant. There's a difference. Contracts are broken when one of the parties fails to keep his promise. If, let us say, a patient fails to keep an appointment with a doctor... The doctor's not obligated to call the house and inquire, where were you? Why didn't you show up for your appointment? He simply goes on to his next patient and has his appointment secretary take note of the patient who failed to keep the appointment. The patient may find it harder the next time to see the doctor because he broke an informal contract. According to the Bible, however, the Lord asks, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. The Bible indicates the covenant is more like the ties of a parent to a child than it is to a doctor's appointment. If a child fails to show up for dinner, the parent's obligation, unlike the doctor, isn't canceled. The parent finds out where the child is and makes sure he's cared for. Other members' failure doesn't destroy the relationship. Because a covenant puts no conditions on faithfulness, it is the unconditional commitment to love and serve. Now, a part of that I don't totally agree with. Uh, There are conditions of faithfulness in the covenant. And though we may be unfaithful, God is still faithful to keep his part of the covenant, always giving us his grace and his mercy as we need it. But no, there is faithfulness that's required. And so the way that Peter structures this and the way that he points out that these Christians are a new covenant people is really interesting. Because if you read the Old Testament and you see how Israel became members of the covenant, 
Peter actually pulls from some of those images and he applies it to the churches that, Peter, that he wrote to. So if you remember, he's writing to a vast area, Asia Minor. It would have been called then, we call it the country of Turkey today. And so look at chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had to gird up your loins. Probably none because we don't wear the same clothing they did. But the men often wear these long robes more than they did what we call breeches. And so when it was time to gird up your loins, they would take that long robe and fold it in a certain way to where it looked like they, they wore uh, capris, maybe some of you. I mean, it didn't go all the way down. It looks like they were Huckleberry Finn ready for a flood. But anyway, they would take that robe and fold it so that it looked like they had pants on. That enabled them to move hastily, quickly. And they often did this when it was time to go into battle or when you had to do something very quickly. And so we see in the book of Exodus how God's people ate the Passover in haste. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall ex uh, eat it in the house. It is the Lord's Passover. So in the same respect that Israel had to be prepared to move quickly, so the Christians are to be in their minds sober, resting their hope fully upon the grace that is brought at the revelation of Jesus. Be ready to be quick. Then you look at chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 11, verse 44, that's where these words come from. I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Obviously, we understand that we cannot be in respect, in the respect that God is holy. We cannot attain that measure. But we have something to aim at. Someone once said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. But when we look to God as our example for holiness, we have something to aim at. That is, we see His attributes and we try to take them on ourselves. And we think sometimes it's difficult to do in the flesh. You know, it's really impossible, you may think. But I'll say this, God never asks something of you and me that we can't perform. He never asks something of you and me that we can't perform. Looking to Jesus Christ and how he lived his life and how he encountered various situations, we can say here is God in the flesh living a holy life. And being holy doesn't mean dullness. It doesn't mean you can't smile. Some Christians appear as if they were weaned on a sour pickle. And, well, that's okay. Maybe their smile muscles just don't work as well as others. But Jesus undoubtedly went to weddings. He had a good time with the people he was around, and he was actually accused of sinning with them. But he maintained his fidelity to God and he maintained a stature of holiness while being in the flesh and living in this world. So we can look to God for the standard of holiness, but we can look to Jesus as to how we carry that out in the flesh. So, okay, Christians, he says here, 
you're identified with Israel. Because see, Israel always thought that they were special because God had chose them. And they allowed that to go to their heads. And so there may have been this mindset of Israelite superiority. Because if you're born into the house of Israel, you're born into this privilege of having this special relationship with God. But Peter is saying it's not necessarily the family you're born into so much as the faith that you have. And you identify with Israel in these ways. Look at verses 17 through 21. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the blood, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, I don't have a slide for this one simply because I would say you need to read Exodus chapters 12 through 15. So I doubt I can put that many chapters up on one slide. So if you want to make a note of verses 17 to 21, they really correlate to Exodus chapters 12 through 15. Conduct yourselves with fear. And notice he uses language of, uh, you could say, of uh, sojourning. He says, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear. And he, he referred to them in chapter 1, verse 1, as pilgrims. <laughs> Every time I hear that word, I think about John Wayne. Not my soon-to-be son-in-law, but the actor. Hey, pilgrim, right? You know, okay. But what that meant is that they, though they had houses, and though maybe they grew up in these areas... And though they might have said, I live in, my home is in, Peter says, you're strangers, you're sojourners, you're pilgrims to this place. And you might say, well, why is that? Because your home, your true home is not here. It's with God in the heavens. Some of you may have seen uh, certain shows or movies that place a premium on keeping land. You know, I think back to uh, the stories of, of the, the family farm. Uh, Granddaddy was a Metro police officer, a canine handler. Now, if you want to get rich, you're not going to become a police officer to do it. But he was a police officer, and Graham worked at a bank, and they found this property in Goodlesville, Tennessee, almost at the end of Davidson County, about 60 acres, and Granddaddy bought it. And they had pigs, they had cows, they had all kinds of animals because when he wasn't a policeman, he was a farmer. So he would work his shifts with the police department, and then whenever they had extra work, like if you had to work security at some event or something, he would take a lot of those jobs on, and then he would farm. And Daddy told me, he said, I've seen granddaddy sleep standing up. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, he would be so exhausted from working hours on end, he would lean against the barn and his eyes would be asleep or closed and he would be asleep. 
I'm like, wow. I'd be one of the, you know, you think about the kids in the car seat when they're driving and they get the head bobbles, right? Like, how on earth do you sleep standing up? He learned from a horse, I guess. But he also told me, he said, when daddy would go to work, granddaddy, he would take with him a can of beanie weenies and a can of Vienna sausages. <laughs> I, do, I can do the beanie weenies, but those Vienna sausages are disgusting. But they were cheap and they were enough for him to eat. And so you think of those sacrifices. He made those sacrifices for 60 acres that's still in the family. And because of the story around that, that's special. That's special. My uncle, my daddy, my other uncle and his family, and my cousin Chad, they have, uh, Uncle Bo and Daddy live on the land. Chad and Uncle Andy have, brought, have bought adjourning properties so that it's even more than 60 acres. And f- the whole family with children and grandchildren, many of them get to grow up there. And so some of you may have similar stories. Maybe you live on a farm that has been inherited from your grandfather, from your great-grandfather who came here in 18 whoever knows what. And that's a special place to you. But Peter would remind you, you are a stranger on this earth. You are a sojourner. You're just traveling through here because your home is in heaven. Verses 22 through 25 Since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Again, this would correlate to Jeremiah 31 as well as Isaiah chapter 40. Two chapters I don't have the room to put up on a slide. But it's the word of the Lord that was preached to us, and it's the word of the Lord that will sustain us. It endures forever. A lot of people may not like what the word of the Lord says. And here's the thing. People talk about Christianity sometimes being a crutch, a fairy tale that we gullible people who have no enlightenment believe in. My response to that is, why would I choose something that tells me to resist every fleshly urge that I may have? Something that tells me more often than not, here's where I'm wrong, here's where I need to do better. Why do you and I choose that good news and the word of the Lord that often says you are a sinner. Here are the sins you need to repent of. You need to be saved from the wrath of God. You need to do better. If it was made up, who would choose that? We choose it because we have faith in God and the word that he has given that has been preserved throughout the centuries point us to him and also to his son. So if people don't like what I read, I got to tell you this. I'm sorry. I'm about to get on a soapbox. Hopefully I don't become belligerent. I saw an article yesterday, some uh, church higher up in some other uh, denomination. He said, 
maybe we should rethink the opening of the Lord's Prayer. I'm like, I got to read this. So I clicked it and I read it. And he said, maybe we shouldn't begin the Lord's Prayer with our Father because of those who may have suffered trauma from not having good fathers. And I thought, are you serious? I'm like, what has the world come to? I mean, there's so much that you already look at and you go, this is nuts. Now you got someone who dresses in fine robes and claims to be a higher up in some fellowship. And he says, you know, maybe we ought to change what the word says. I don't get that. Rather, why don't you look to the parable of the prodigal son and look at that father there and say, that is the father you address as our father. You don't need to change the word. And even if you want to, whosoever adds to these words or takes away, shall his portion or his name in the book of life be taken away. I would encourage that fellow, you know, you really need to read this part. You really need to read this part because the word of the Lord endures forever. And there are times that you and I may hear it. There are times that you and I may read it and we go, oh, that stung a little bit. Whenever you find a month that has 31 days in it, I'll give you a challenge. Read the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters. You can do a chapter a day and in the month of, with 31 days, you will read the entire book of Proverbs. But I guarantee as you read through that book, you're going to be confronted with some rebukes from the Lord. I know because that's what I do. And I go, ah. And I'll make a little star beside that when I go, you, you got to do better here. And then there are others you go, oh, well, I've, I've got that covered pretty well. Thank you, Lord. But if you always read the word and always feel comfortable, you're not reading it right. Because there are some times that we are confronted with that, world, with that word. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God as, and precious, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Notice this, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Therefore, it's also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. The language that Peter is using here presents the church as the temple. Isaiah 28, 16, therefore, the Lord, uh, therefore thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Again, 
He's borrowing from this old covenant and that imagery that Israel is. And he's saying, this is now who you are. Finally, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Similar words to what he said to the Israelites in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. If you'll obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you'll be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you'll be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. We are a priesthood. There's not any one of us that's more important or less important than another. And we are, as a part of that priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. There's a whole other sermon I could preach, but I'll, I'll spare you. I'm sure you appreciate that. From exile in Babylon, Ezekiel wrote about this new covenant that was to come. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. It wasn't that the first covenant was one of hostility, but rather because there were so many commands to keep, so many sacrifices that you had to use for specific circumstances, it appeared almost hostile, though that's not how God intended it. But this one, rather than having to go forward doing things to cleanse, to purify oneself, this new one going forward would be a covenant of peace. And Paul reminds us of that. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you go through Him, confessing that, being buried with Him in baptism, repenting of your sins, that's when you're justified by faith through Jesus and you have peace with God. Now, when you think of peace, you think of the end of a conflict. Currently, I have hostility with squirrels. They like to eat my bird feed. And maybe it's just you get to a certain age in life and this is your biggest worry. Yesterday, I was taking pictures of a flower and of tomatoes and various other things that Stephanie is growing. And I'm thinking, I I've, I've gotten to that point in life. But I have hostility with squirrels because they eat my bird feed and they probably eat the vegetables too if we let them. <clears throat> but you think of a hostility, at least with God. And, and later in chapter 5, Paul elaborates on that more. He says that we are enemies to God. We are hostile towards God. We are prone to God's wrath. But yet when we're saved, all those things are no longer existing because we have peace with the Father. If you're not a Christian, I'm just going to tell you, and you're not going to like it, but you are not in a position of having peace with God. You're in that position of being an enemy, of being hostile and prone to the wrath of God. But that's not where God wants you to stay. God wants to have peace with you 
And he says, through my son, we can have peace. There's a story that was told. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll use it and I'll just give that disclaimer that I'm not sure that it's true. But there was a man who, for days at the White House, tried to get a meeting with Abraham Lincoln, and he couldn't get close enough to do so. Well, one day there was a little boy playing around, and that little boy saw that man and how sad he looked, and he's like, what's wrong? And he said, well, I'm trying to meet the president, and I'm not having any success. And so the little boy said, well, come with me. And so he took the man's hand, and he walked him right into the president. And allegedly, that was the president's son. Now, again, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it makes the point that the son can get you to the father. And the son of God wants to do just that. So come to him in faith if you've not already and find that peace that you can have with God. You may come as we stand and sing.